there's three components in any succession. There's the outgoing pastor, the incoming pastor, and the congregation. And all three need to be working almost in sync with the vision of what's going to happen in order for mm. it to work successfully. Well, hello and welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jason here. And as always, we're so grateful that you'd make time to join in on this conversation as we kind of ask the question, how do we love and serve the people that God has entrusted to us in our local congregations across this country? And this week, we've got Phil Kniesel on the podcast. He's a Canadian pastor. He's at Hope City Church in Edmonton, Alberta. He's been there for 16 years. For 10 of those, he was the pastor of an amazing young adult ministry called The Project, and he's been the lead pastor for the last six years. And the transition from the lead pastor before, Gary Tatinger, who'd been there for decades, grew the church, established an amazing culture. Talking about that transition, among other things, was deeply inspiring and helpful. We got to cover a number of other themes like evangelism and leadership development, and really got to hear the story of Hope City Church. And so with all that said, let's jump into today's conversation with Phil. Well, Phil, it is really, really fun to have this chance to sit down. Talk to us, man. How are you doing these days. Thanks for having me here, man. Um, doing really well, actually. You know, despite everything that's gone on in the last two years of our lives, I yeah. feel more energized for the church. I feel more in love with Jesus and more in love with my spouse. And um, so overall, I would say I'm doing great, bro. I love hearing that. I feel like I haven't figured out how to formulate this statement yet. I'm going to try to do it. I almost want to be like, I almost feel like telling people, I like, think you made it. Like, you know, yeah. like, I don't know how many we're, we're like, however many hundreds of days into pandemic leadership and like every sphere of society has their own challenges. So I'm not comparing one to another, but to pass from like, you're still like here. It's like all things considered, you know, I still like God yeah, and want to serve them. And we still have a church to lead, which is <laughs> feels like a miracle. And, and people still want to be in the church and yeah. people are still finding Jesus. And that is, you know, that's the clincher of it all. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I most admire about you, Phil, is your passion for evangelism, you know, and, and I know that word comes with connotation for different people, but sure. to reframe it, passion that people who do not know the Lord yeah. will find life that he offers. Has that always been something that's alive in your heart or did that come later in ministry? Like, where does that, where does that passion come from? Because for you, it's always like front of mind, you know, every yeah. conversation, where does that passion come from? Uh, you know what? I think it started when I was in high school. So I've been a Christian my whole life, potentially, if you want to call it that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in high school, I actually prayed and said, God, I want to have a heart for people that don't know you. It was just a prayer, bro. It started with that. Wow. And I think year over year over year, God just continually... Um, answers that prayer. But at, as you lean into it, as you see people's lives change, as you see people coming to Jesus, as you see like, man, I can actually do this. I can just wow. talk normal to people about what God's done in my life. And they're mm. like, I need that. Or I want that. Or, you know, Hey, Jason, you don't know Jesus, but that's okay. I'm going to pray for you. you just yeah. know if you need anything, our God's big. Stuff mm. like that goes miles with people who don't know Jesus, right? Mm. They're just like, whoa. So, you know, not being afraid to say that, but not also 
um, shying away from those opportunities, I would say are huge. And so that, yeah. that has always been in me. I mean, I remember driving around Edmonton when I first moved here, I've been here 16 years plus now, but where were you before driving, Edmonton in Winnipeg? Okay. So I passed her in Winnipeg almost six years, pastored in Southern Ontario for three. So I've been here now for over 16. When I first moved to Edmonton, I remember driving around the streets and weeping just mm. weeping over our city. And I feel like every pastor for the place that you're called needs one of those moments. I get in my car these days and I'm like, God, as I look around, I see buildings, I see people walking, I see families, you know, homeless people, whatever. And you're just praying, Holy Spirit, yeah. do something, draw them, work, move. And I think um, if you lose that, we might as mm. well hang our hats up, bro. There's this like, it's something you almost have to always tend to that part of your heart. Like yeah. you have to kind of say, Lord, keep it soft because obviously the busyness and all of a sudden like the realism of like, yeah. you know, defeat challenges, setbacks, a sense that this heart, like we're not seeing the change we long for. Um, I remember a prayer. Um, it, I read this devotional book called following Jesus in high school that said, go up to a high place in your city. So like go up to a place mm -hmm. where you can look out. And I remember going up to this elementary school near my house where I could kind of just see my neighborhood, not the city, but it's like the suburban neighborhood. And it was like, ask God to give you tears of compassion. And then he's like, he shared the story of how Jesus prays for the blind man and that prays a second time. And he just, and I don't know if this is like hermeneutically good, might've pulled it a little bit out of context, but he said, maybe you need to ask God a second time. And, and that's always been my prayer. Like the second time, yeah. like God touched my eyes again. Yeah. I, I might see like 50, 50, but touch my eyes with compassion. And give me totally. tears of compassion. Like Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And yeah. um, maybe at the end of the episode, when we we pray, that's something you could pray for me and for everyone listening. Yeah. Like God touch us afresh. Love tears that, of compassion Jason. for our city. Talk about going to the highest place. A few years back, um, Stantec Tower was built here in Edmonton. It's the tallest building in our city. The guy who was overseeing the building attends our church. Hmm. And um, I asked him, I said, can I bring my staff on the roof of that building cool. and pray over Edmonton? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's allowed on the construction site. I'm like, bro, make it happen. Come on. This would be awesome. So on a clear summer day, Jason, we were up there and we prayed over Edmonton, the highest hmm. point in our city. And that was so fantastic and spectacular and heartbreaking and moving just to be able to do something like that over our city. So, you know, it goes along with your story of going to the highest point that you yeah. can get to. We went to the highest possible point and so good. it was just a neat option and uh, love that. Love that. Oh, for, I love that. You know, even our team to experience that. Tell me a bit about Hope City Church and maybe go back because I know that it has a real history in Edmonton. Yeah. So give us, take your time. I'd love to hear about, I'm so interested yeah. of, of Hope City, where it came from, some of the different transitions they experienced, and then get us up to the point of you taking leadership. Okay. So Hope City was not Hope City. Um, you know, about three years ago, we were called Millwood's Pentecostal Assembly, and they were planted off a German branch church here in the city back in 1976. Cool. So, you know, we're like over 40 decades here or four decades. And um, it was so interesting because when they were planted, they had two main goals in mind, reach people who aren't here yet and keep our kids. Mm. And that was something way back in the 70s where, you know, it wasn't that common language for churches to be focused on that. Um, 
And that has stuck. Like it's kind of like in the benches, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's the DNA of us. We want to reach people who aren't here yet and we want to keep our kids. So that means change is constant. That mm-hmm. means change is always morphing, moving. And this church is very change receptive. And that's been probably because of the core 15 families that went and planted mm-hmm. this had that heart and that desire to say, we're not going to get stuck in church politics. We're not going to get stuck in things that don't move the kingdom forward. So it was a real heart mindset. Okay. And then over the years, just seeing how that progressed, how that evolved, how people with the same mindset actually came and were part of the church. And, um, you know, I've only been here 16, just over 16 years, but that's a long time to be part that's of a, a fabric time, of a man. church. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I'm winning in right now is just the longevity of leadership in a church. It's just such a win to see. There's got to be people that were in the youth group, you know, or whatever, Bro. the young adult ministry that you're leading back in the day that are now like potentially like thinking about joining the board or whatever it might be like, I mean, that's an amazing They are experience. my board members. I did their that's weddings. Amazing. I did their child dedication. Now they're sitting on the board with me and I'm oh. like, it's so rich, right? Because you And the want- trust that comes, right? Yeah. Shared values yeah. like that yeah. stuff that just takes time to build. Totally. So that's been, that's been such a win. Um, if you're able to do it, I, I say to anyone out there, mm. push through the times when you feel like, ah, can I stay here? Um, mm. cause I went through those times. Everyone goes through those times. It's not yeah. all awesome. Right. And so you work through those seasons, but seeing the other side and, um, just seeing what God does through longevity. And I say coin in your pocket, cause as a leader, you get coin in your pocket. That's a Jim Collins term, but it, it's like you get coin in your pocket by making good leadership decisions one at a time. Hmm. Right. And so if people see that happening, you build trust, you build that whole, um, we're behind you. We know you can do this because people hmm. need that. Yeah. And so, um, I actually started the church. I'll kind of go back to when I came on staff here, 16 yeah. plus years ago. Uh, our church has a ministry to young adults called the project. And when I came on the team, um, that was a pretty vibrant ministry. We were, uh, it's the a Sunday project night was service. already in place. Before it was you jumped on. Okay. Yeah, it was Jason. It was in place for four years. Okay. So, well, just under four, three and a half ish. And I came along, uh, the guy who launched it out of the church was moving to be a lead pastor in Ontario. And I came and took over and, uh, we saw God just do incredible things in young adults. We had a team there. It was a Sunday night service. I mean, at its peak in our day, we were getting six to 700 young adults coming out That's Sunday amazing. night. It was like for that. And it was a ministry to the city, right? Like, is, yeah. because obviously there's a local church component and you're trying to consolidate as many into right. life groups, and the life of the church. But there's also that other element. Was there a sense of calling on the church to go, hey, God's given us this thing. We know young adults are coming from all over. Yeah. Um, how did that shape the way you kind of held it and approached it? Yeah, that's a great question. That was our mandate. We are for the city. We are for young adults in our city. But what we didn't want to be, we had to distinguish, we're not a praise and worship rally for young adults. Right, right. Okay. We really wanted to be that young adult context that are reaching young adults far from God. That's what jacked me about the job. Because again, going back to a heart for people who don't know Jesus, I'm like, yeah. here's a ministry that is totally focused on reaching those that are far from Christ. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
loved it. I spent eight years doing that. And Jason, I can tell you story after story of just, it's just the Holy Spirit working in people's lives and people coming to Jesus and people transforming. I remember um, we used to go to Joey's a lot after Sunday nights, kind of a whole crew just kind of take over the restaurant. And the bar manager there was starting to get to know a bunch of us. Well, I remember when he got saved and then we baptized him. And then one day he's sitting in my office and he's like, Phil, like, I don't think I can reconcile what I do with my faith anymore. He now runs a business, loves the Lord. I did his wedding. I did his child dedication. Like it's pretty cool. Right. So to see some of that happen. So, you know, that's been a lot of fun over the years um, being at the project. And honestly, I didn't even want to leave. But then every so often I say this to a lot of our staff now um, you're going to get opportunities, even in our own orbit where God opens a door. And it could be the door that leads you to your next leadership step. You might not feel ready. You might not even want to leave what you're doing, but that's probably the best spot to be in because God wants to take you and move you into something else so that you're Mm -hmm. ready to be stretched and grown and motivated and moved, whatever you want to use, whatever, whatever adjective there. Um, And so I remember when my boss at the time said, Hey, you know what? Are you interested in ever leading the church? And honestly, I was like, no. I love what I do, right? And I said, let me pray about it. Let me work this through. And uh, in that, I just felt God saying, why wouldn't you walk through this? Mm. Why wouldn't you do this? If if the door's there, if my calling and my hand is on you, step through it. And so I had to trust that. I had to walk with that. And then we worked through. And that was a conversation six years prior to him transitioning. And that's credit to Gary Tate and Journey. It is. He's a great leader. I, I I wanted to ask, and we will chat a lot about that. Um, what kind of insecurities were you facing in that invitation? Because part of that is like, you know, you had a good thing going on. Yeah. You know, you're expressing your gifts. Um, obviously, a lot of transferable experiences from running a large young adult ministry to a church, but different. You know, in that moment of wrestling with that, what was some of the like internal looking inside? Yeah, yeah. what was some of that like? Because I just know for me that's often what's adding drag to some of my decisions as well as my own sense of insecurity. And like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this next thing. Yeah. Um, that was huge at the beginning. Um, I'm not sure I can do this. I remember my initial answer to Gary was we'll try this. I'm not all in, but we'll try this. Right. Um, so I still wanted the security blanket of what I did because I felt that's my world. I can do this. Um, stepping into a, uh, a role of a guy who, you know, when I took over was here 36 years wow. and loved. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't just like, all right, great. He's gone. He was loved and rightfully so. I speak mm-hmm. only highly of him. He's still a really close friend of mine. I sit on boards with him. He attends our church. Like in that, I, I call him up when I'm like, Hey man, I'm facing this. What would you do? Because I still wow. respect and honor what his opinion. What a gift to have that relationship, yeah. hey? Wow. Huge. That gives like coverage almost. It's like, hey, I can yeah. run a little faster because like you got someone like that in your court. Right. So oh, that's powerful. insecurities, you're going to feel 100%. Can I do this? This is a large church. Am I, am I able to take the reins? Will team even respect me? Because right. my peers turn into 
I'm now their boss, right? How does that shift? How does that change? So that's what I say to everyone. It's important who you are all the time on any staff team because you don't know what door God's going to open. Right. And if you're like, here's what I know. I honored Gary as my boss to all the team. And I think you reap what you sow. Hmm. So in those days, um, you know, even if he made decisions that I wouldn't fully agree with, Mm -hmm. We could have the conversation, which was so awesome, but he would say, no, this is how we're doing it. And I'd walk out and I'd own it as if I made that decision. Hmm. And I think God honors that. And I feel that honoring in my leadership now. Can you tell me what that looks like? Cause there's something there where it's like, cause I, I lead on a team yeah. and uh, we make decisions together and then we, we own it. And sometimes I'm like, ah, if, if my vote, you know, was let's pretend it's something like really fickle. Like, should we do it on Friday night or Saturday night? Even if my votes, it's Friday night, but the team lands on Saturday. I'm going, okay, we decided together. Right. And there's this temptation when someone on your on the staff or a volunteer goes, oh, wouldn't it have been way better on Friday night Right. And for me to be like, oh, my vote, like just to kind of be like, just so you know. Um, yeah. And then obviously I'm using a silly example, but when the stakes are higher, what actually affects the church. Mm -hmm. Can you just speak to like that decision a little bit more? I just want to pause there being like, hey, at some point in time you decided, I'm going to honor this decision. And, I, you know, because I think we talk a lot about like um, abuse of that kind of hierarchical honor. Like we're not talking about when people are doing 100%. Both. We're not yeah. talking, we're talking about when people are just leading imperfectly. There's no perfect decisions ever. Right. What, what does it look like to be a team member that's actually going, I'm going to, I'm going to support this. Talk to me a bit yeah. more about that. You know what decision you need to make? This isn't about me. This is about the church. And if I really believe that this is the bride of Christ, and if I really believe that God has brought these people together, my opinion won't always be counted and be okay with that because it's not about me. Mm -hmm. And so the sooner you get over that, the easier it is just to say, Hey, yeah, Saturday night was awesome. Yeah. In your head, you can be like, Friday night would have killed it. I know it. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have yeah. to say that. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, totally. But I think it's it's a pride issue. It really comes down to pride. And as soon as we can get beyond ourselves, I think the heart of it all is this is God's. He's given us an opportunity to be a part of it. Are we going to jump on board? Hmm. Or are we just going to always want our own way like that kid? Yeah. Um, let's talk about that transition. So Gary taps you on mm -hmm. the shoulder. Um, it's a long-term transition. Uh, this is important to talk about because one way or another transitions are happening, period. People yeah. retire, people move on. Someone else, whether it's a team, uh, will take that role. The question is, what kind of transition will it be? You That's know, exactly some of them it. don't look like transitions at all. So this is, I think, um, I don't want you to have to say this. I think this is like one of one of the examples we have in Canada of when a leader like Gary goes, I'm thinking about my own succession way in advance. And there happens to be someone like you qualified and ready, or maybe feeling underqualified, but like in that pipeline and do a beautiful job. I'd love just to diagnose, like dissect it, do the like autopsy or whatever the figure of speech is and just look yeah. at it with detail because I just think it's worth uh, pausing on, maybe extracting a few principles from it. So walk us through a bit of the timeline and the experience and some of the elements of it that you think are worth pausing on. Yeah. So right initially at the beginning, the whole idea was, hey, 
I think this could work, Phil, but there's three components in any succession, okay? There's the outgoing pastor, the incoming pastor, and the congregation. And all three need to be working um, almost in sync with the vision of what's going to happen in order for Mm. it to work successfully. And so very early on, he wanted to know, okay, so he's got the confidence and the trust of the project congregation and the staff team there, but can that shift and work in a larger context for the whole church? So little things like giving me, you know, some staff oversight beyond the staff I already oversaw. Okay, we're going to bring that in. Or on staff days, he'd get me to give, you know, a lesson or a teaching to staff. How does team respond to Phil and what he's bringing? Um, Preaching every so often in the morning services, you know, getting my voice out there. Are people responding? Are people liking? Um, Bringing me around eventually the boardroom table to macro decisions for the church. And this all happened over six years or like where is this in the timeline? So very early on, I did staff and um, Sundays, um, meaning preaching. Yeah. But that was about it. And so we yeah. re- rode that for probably, because I didn't want to leave the project. I'm like, I don't want right. to be your assistant pastor. I love what I do. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I don't want to move into the morning and leave this. So he was honoring some of that in my life too, where I'm just like, I feel like this is awesome. Like, let me stay here and let me kind of feel the water of what it's going to be like to transition. And so that was probably a two-year span, maybe a little bit more, three-year span where I was actually... Um, preaching increasingly more yeah. in the mornings because he saw, okay, the church is responding well. Okay, do you want to do like once every six weeks now? Do you want to do like, you know, and he's bringing that all in and, okay, I'm going to lean into the staff here and do that. And then at, at three years out is when I transitioned fully because wow. he felt at that point and I felt at that point, I'm ready. I think mm. I really want to do this because I had to make a decision, right? Am I in or am I not? Yeah. And um, can I tell you, like, this also had to be a couple decision. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just me because not being from Edmonton, uh, my wife's from Winnipeg. I'm from Toronto area. We always thought we'd come to Edmonton for a season and then go back to where family is. Right, And so having to wrap your head around, this could be more than just a season now, this could be our life, means we had to make sure that we're both on board. We both feel called to this. We both are like, yeah, we're in and um, we need to do this. And so that was also a process that I had to work through with my spouse. And if she would have said no, I would have had to say no, Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't work, right? And so that's just something that was, you know, God was doing that work in both of our lives. That was so critical. Hmm. And um, so anyways, at the three-year out mark, I transitioned to be the assistant pastor. And and that's when things just ramped up. I was- Is there you know, a timeline in place? Like when we say three years out, was there kind of like, was because it's so fascinating to me, like that Gary was even thinking like, yeah, like, cause that's way, three years is still way in advance. Like yeah. that- and so there, is there a timeline in place? Is it loose? And how is he articulate? Like, what are the conversations like that you're having? So there was a timeline. Um, we sped it up in the end. Uh, we worked through that timeline. We both spoke into it. 
And we both were able to bring, you know, hey, what about this? What about that? And kind of bounce things back and forth. At the end of the day, I still let him make the final calls on that yeah. because he's leading this transition. It's not my yeah. job to lead it. Um, and that's something to remind people. If you're the successor, um, let the outgoing person lead it. Uh, because it is, it is hard, especially if they've been there a long time, it's hard to release. Like, um, those are the things that they have to work through is how much am I letting go? And how much am I holding on to in this season? Because the more I let go means the more I'm losing my job. And that's a big deal, right? (laughs) I think it's worth noting to Gary's credit. Like he wasn't at like official retirement. Like he made a decision to go, I'm going to pass this when it's the right time for the church right? and his leadership, knowing that he still has, like he's, he's leading on, on a district level right now, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't like, that wasn't necessarily a part of the plan. It was just like, I know I need to hand this off. It's the right decision for the church. Am I getting it right? You are. And the, the initial plan, Jason, was that he was going to be my assistant pastor. And so just to, just imagine how that works out. Like one day, you know, you're sitting with the team around the table, Gary's the boss, Phil's just part of the team. Literally the next day, Phil's the boss and Gary's part of the team. And so we were working through some dynamics in that, but because of our personalities and because both of us respected and liked each other, Hmm. it worked because he Hmm. was on our team for over a year as an assistant role before he shifted into the general superintendent. That's Um, amazing. That feels like that feels especially unique. I, I don't know if we would have put that on the wall as like a transferable principle. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. But, but but definitely, I mean, and and credit to the friendship, like you described, like we liked each other and, um, and his humility and, and trust in you. Yeah. And, and there were times where I, you know, I would say, "I, I, I don't think I can have you in this meeting. And he'd be like, okay. Or, Mm. you know, when it first happened, I, you know, I said things like, you probably should stay away from all staff meeting for the next two months. Just give me that platform. Yeah. Okay. You know, Mm. it wasn't like, no, I'm coming. Like, and that's the thing. It was just like, it was such like, all right, you're leading now. I'll respect that. You respected Mm. me, you know? And um, so, so really in that three-year process, Jason, it was just getting more and more leadership opportunity, more and more exposure, yeah. more and more just saying, okay, can I fit? Can I do this? And learning the reins of what it means to lead a large church, Yeah. right? Because you can have a, a view of it from a secondhand seat, um, yeah. but everything changes when you're leading. I say one of the biggest things people have asked me, you know, so I've been doing leading here over six years. And I think one of the biggest things for me, what I didn't understand until I'm in the seat is the weight of the leadership. Um, It just, and it's not a heavy, like, oh my gosh, you know, life is so hard, but it's, it's like a weight that it's, it's a spiritual weight. It's a mantle. It's a responsibility. It's like, I'm in, you know, I have to give an account for how I lead this team and this church. So that's a big weight, right? Mm-hmm. And I always say it this way, if God calls and puts you in that position, he will equip you to handle it. You're not going to be left alone. I mean, that's the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have our Lord, right? Like it is so good to know that he gives us what we need to do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And so in that, that's been helpful to know. 
Well, here's kind of a cool story. Um, when we actually had the transition, so, so I remember Gary pulling me aside and saying, hey, when the vote comes through, like, be lucky if you get like 80 to 83. Okay, that's going to be a really high vote. It's yeah. going to be good. I'm like, that's a horrible experience, by the way. Just as a yeah, side note, like, it is. there's different governance models out there. I know that you're part of one where the bylaws have members vote on the pastor. And that's interesting, right. actually, just as a side note, governance affects transition. Yes. And I think what's interesting for any church naming the fact that transition's on the horizon to ask the question, how does the way in which our governance is structured? None of us really like talking about, well, some of us like talking about bylaws, but it's not the thing that gets a lot of airtime, right. but anyone leading the church is like to understand like your bylaws speak to actual values and mechanisms yeah. that are going to yeah. form how this goes. And there, some of the, these bylaws were formed by a different belief about what transition would look like in a different era. Right. And uh, so it's interesting that you had to hit that vote because you guys are planning internally, you know, doing what you can, but ultimately you're still subjecting it. And what a, I just think it's a horrible experience. Even if I got, this is how insecure I am, Phil. If I got like 97, yeah, it's like, which would be amazing. Like I get voted in 97% at, you, you know, you succeeding at your church in this hypothetical. I'd be like, three people don't want me. 3%. I'm done. I may as well quit. (laughs) That's how insecure I am. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is part of our governance structure. And that's, that's the component where I say the congregation has to do their part still here for us. When did Gary start saying, Hey, I'm approaching this transition. When did that start? When in the six year timeline, when does the congregation get let in the last year? Okay. Yeah. The board was brought in at year four mark. Okay. Wow. So we actually read through a book. Vander Blumen wrote a book called next um, all about succession and our board and Gary and I read through that. And we were working through some of the dynamics that he suggested in there as well. Really great. Do you recommend that book? I do. I do. I highly recommend that that in the notes on on the episode. That's helpful. But um, when it came down to the vote, so I'm going to go back to what I said, you know, your spouse needs to be on the same page. I remember my wife, Marla coming to me and saying, so if you don't get 93, we're not doing this. Hmm. And I was like, what? (laughs) Right. Cause in my head, I'm like, Gary said 83 is good, hon. Like what? Right. And, And she's like, I, I just, I don't, I don't want to do this. If we don't have like massive support, yeah. I don't feel like this is. And so I remember going into this and going, okay, God, I trust you because she's my spouse. She's my life partner. I honor what she says and I'm going to listen to that. And so we get into the day of the vote and we go back to my office after, as they're voting and, and the dude comes in after it's um, one of our board members comes in after it's like tally and stuff. We got a 99.3% vote. And I remember just the overwhelming feeling of, God, you are so in this. My wife was all in after that saying, yes, Lord, you can do this. And so just having some of those confirmation moments are critical, right? Mm. And you need some of those God moments in the transition specifically for the incoming pastor. Mm. Um, However, they are structured. However, God does that in your life. Um, I, I think the biggest tension I had to work through as, as Gary was letting go and holding on was mm-hmm. how much do I lean in and how much do I lean out? Because there are times where I need to be all in and say, hey, this is a decision right now that's going to affect you know, five years from now, right. um, not just five weeks. And so knowing the difference of the long-term versus short-term, and mm-hmm. that's where I would lean in that's with so long-term. Yeah. Short-term, I was like, whatever. 
It yeah. doesn't matter if it's not my preference, right? And so just being able to navigate those decisions and learn, okay, is this macro for bigger long-term or is this just kind of whatever? And it's just personal mm. preference yeah. and I can let that go. Yeah. Phil, you got to be a recipient of like a leader seeing something in you, seeing potential in you, calling it out. How's that informing the way you're leading staff now at your yeah. church? You're in that senior leadership position. How are you thinking about moving people to the next step in their journey, investing in them, and in some cases, moving them along to other opportunities or within the org or outside the org? Yeah, just talk to me about, I guess, the questions around like leadership development and developing character, not just competency, but character in the hearts of young leaders. Right. I know you think about this a lot, so I'd love to hear your reflections on it. Yeah, we have 22 pastors on our staff team. Most are under 35. Wow. So um, that gives you an idea of how much young we have in the orbit. But I love that. I love the fact that there's going to be days where they're going to make decisions that are messy, but you learn through mess. I mm. love the fact that they're not always going to get it right, but we got to give them the space to not always get it right. And um, I also love the fact that they sit around a table and challenge me because sometimes I'm out to lunch and I'm starting to get the old guy in the room. And I'm like, dude, I don't know where my head was, but that is way better. And I honor that. And so they, wow. you know, feel like they can have a voice at the table, which I need. I'm 48. Mm. Um, I'm not like in the orbit of the twenties anymore. Do you get what I'm saying? So my headspace ain't there. So we do have an intentional leadership development track at our church, but that is for everyone across the board. When it comes mm. to our pastoral team specifically, yeah. or our staff, especially the younger ones, um, you know, if I see leadership potential, I always want to increase their influence in the organization. So that actually means as a leader, I need to let go of stuff that mm. I love in order to empower others to go at it. As you get good leadership in the organization and see younger that have potential and yeah. um, ability and skill and character, yeah, you have to release that. And so I do that with my communication. I do that with decisions. I do that with staff because my lead team, I'm like, now, okay, no, I'm going to actually get you to hire this person. Hmm. Um, I'm actually going to get you to make sure you interview and pick the right candidate, run it by me, but I want you to do this process. Oh, that's um, beautiful. It's just empowering the leaders around you. And again, if, if, and I'm not saying I, we all deal with insecurities. Okay. We do. But if you're secure as a leader, you can do that hmm. because again, it's not about you. It's about hmm. God's church and who cares who gets the glory, who cares who gets the credit. If people are finding Jesus, if your church is moving forward and your staff is healthy and leaders love working here, hmm. right? So those are some of the things I try. Do we always succeed? No. Yeah. What do you think? Um, what do you think at 28, like you got 20 pastors or so under 35 or um, what is that? What is that thirty-year-old? That twenty-five-year-old? Like, what does that demographic of pastors, young pastors, need to grow? Like, and and you can take it however you want, but like, what kind of environment do they need, or what kind of opportunities, or what kind of leader do they need? Like, because I think this is a big question that we wrestle yeah. with a lot, um, and particularly as a pastor, um, the leadership one. I feel like you know that one we can talk about as well, but to grow into that pastoral yeah. instinct, competencies and character, all that stuff wrapped yeah. into pastoral ministry. 
you need to give them opportunity to spread their wings. Mm-hmm. And if they're always feeling like, so for example, I'll pull some of our youth pastors in into communicating in the summer at our church, right. which is a massive church, right? Thousands of people. And here's this 25 year old preaching on a Sunday morning. Right. Well, they're not going to like think Phil doesn't trust me. They're going to be like, what? I get to do this? They're going right. to work their tail off to do that awesomely, right? And so it's things like that, providing opportunities for the team that mm. is beyond just their siloed role, getting yeah. them to lead other things, lean into things. Um, that's how you build young leaders. And mm. I'm, constantly, I'm constantly, you know, talking about the heart. Yeah. Because it's if you lose their heart, you lose you lose who you are in ministry. Mm. And so if your heart's right, the vertical relationship, the horizontal works great. The mm. Vertical gets crooked or blocked. You're in trouble. Yeah. And so I, I, I pastor a lot about what it means to know God and mm. know God as a pastor and hear God and flow and just having the Holy Spirit speak to you through the day. What does it mean to just engage with that? Because I think a lot of younger ones don't actually know what that means. We know the vernacular. We don't know the practical outflow of how do we do this? Mm. And so teaching them how to do that and leading by example. So Mm. what are you dreaming? I know that you're in this unique spot and you you have a church that's, that has years of history, you know, congregation um, resources, um, trust in the city. And so there's a unique stewardship there uh, that you probably feel a lot. And uh, not every church is in that situation. And uh, I think, I know, I know that you don't take that for granted. Like you hold that with like a humility, but then a stewardship. And as you dream um, and look ahead, what's, what are some of the stuff that God's putting on your heart? Talk to me about what you're dreaming up. Yeah. I, I would say we have a very generous church, which then always makes me want to lead by example as an organization to be irrationally generous. Hmm. And so in that, we've done some pretty fun things where we'll just drop something for a small church or a global worker or just help people out. You're going to start getting a lot of letters from some listeners right now. Uh, (laughs) Have you heard of, (laughs) you know, but, but I love that actually. I love some wind in the sails and that's part of the responsibility I believe God has given us. So we Mm. stretch ourselves to be irrationally generous, just to, this is not a braggadocious comment. It's a goal and we hit it way more. But last year we gave 1.3 million away. Wow. Okay. That's more than 10% of our budget. I'm just saying it's, it's a good chunk. That's so special, dude. I love that, man. So that's huge for me. Generosity is huge. Um, the other side of things is we just bought an Anglican church for one of our campuses. We're renovating that. And that's Where a is that, dude? story. So we have a campus called our Twilliger campus. Yeah. And it's in wealthier neighborhood of Edmonton. Yeah. But there's no more land available. There's no more um, building space. There's no warehouses for permanent space. And we wanted a permanent space because we're renting a performing arts theater for that church. And um, we were like, okay, we're going to have to maybe build or go further south or get out of the community. Um, and, and God really put two on my heart as our first campus. That was our first campus launch. And so mm-hmm. we actually, during COVID last year in July, this Anglican church seats about 250 people on four acres of land comes up for sale. Wow. And uh, we were able to buy that. 
And now we're in the process of renovating it and make it ours. And we're I love that, man. Open and just, you know, what was so cool. It was like, God dropped this in my heart when I was telling the church and it was like, people just jumped on board and it's true. It was like, I'm like, we're redeeming something that was given to God. Yeah. The Anglican church is a great church. They do great things. And years ago, they said, God be the glory to God, be the glory in this neighborhood. We want to reach people. Yeah. We want to do something. Yeah. Two things I got to just say, I love, man. Like one is, you know, d- different denominations. And I don't know which there's a couple of Anglican denominations have moved in different directions, but all of these denominations started with prayer. God yeah. move in our time evangelism, yeah. like the roots of these things. I just don't think those are forgotten prayers. Totally. You know what I mean? Somebody gave what if sweat labor into that land, obviously the land was exactly a lot cheaper back it. then, but like there's a sense by which we honor the story of saints yeah. that went before. And I love that that's in the story there, but then also just from a practical point of view, like that four acres will not get zoned again for church. Right. Right. So it's like, that's exactly it. you know, um, there are opportunities where not only land is strategic. I get it. It's not for everyone, oh. but I think there's a real serious question, especially in cities right now, where these typically mainline church buildings are being sold. And uh, it's really difficult because sometimes you're competing with developers for price point. It's complex. But when there's opportunities like this, I'm just so thrilled because, you know, this is interesting to say, bro, you guys will have fruitful years, but there might be a day where the baton gets passed again, 20 years, 30 years, hundred years. We don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And God willing, that will be in the hands of the church in that space for a long time. That's what we pray, man. That's that's exactly it. Um, I mean, the land was, so it was religiously zoned for a church, but it was also zoned for someone to buy it and put up 200 plus apartments slash condos if they wanted to. So that's what's happening to all those places, yeah. right? Yeah. They're becoming urbanized and no more is land being made available for churches. And for the cities, um, I, it's not like, I don't think it's a big agenda, but they go look at the tax revenue. So it's, they're incentivized 100%. by saying 200 condos would bring in property tax every year, and all this stuff. Yeah. Churches at this point in the journey are not paying those same taxes. Um, thankfully, you know, there's tax exemptions that won't last forever in Canada, the way things are going, but you can see why they're zoned that way. So it just means that there has to be a decisiveness churches like yours that can, it's an amazing opportunity, especially as churches are, some churches are hemorrhaging at the edge of collapse. Uh, multi-site creates a a viable pathway for what's left resource wise, left of a congregation or resources left to partner with something that has the ability to strengthen it. And I think in some long-term multi-site models, there's vision for autonomy down the road, but definitely a season, five years, 10 years, 20 years, who knows, of better together. And I think there's something special about that. And I I always say, that's our model now. Yeah. But who knows, right? Who knows where we go in the future? And that's Mm. that's part of it. You hold it kind of loosely and you just allow God to do what he needs to do. But those Mm. are those are the macro things that we're chasing that I'm dreaming about um, because both were done during COVID. Both are now we're seeing, okay, how do we get out of COVID to do this? And um, what are we going to do to try and reach more people in those areas Mm. of our city now? How can other pastors and listeners across Canada be praying for Edmonton? you know, there's a lot of great churches in that city and there's a lot of need. There is. What are some of the things you're praying for, for the city as a whole? Yeah, consistently. So we have 
prayer meetings um, every two months with our church. And what we do is we pray consistently for souls to be saved and for lives to be changed and mm. people to find Jesus. So like that is bottom line, but I pray that for the whole country, right? That's not unique to Edmonton. That's like every hamlet, every town, every city, man, people need Jesus. So that is huge. I think what's unique to Edmonton, we're a little bit of a winter city, mm-hmm. um, six to seven months of the year, we got snow here. It's like, okay, but that's unique to us. But I think, you know, just even the culture of Alberta, um, in the sense of, you know, the oil fields and the anti, um, I don't want to go down this road, but the anti Ontario government and the, and the field that exists here. Um, I don't love the disunity because right. I love unity in our country. And yeah. so I, I, I sense an increasing measure of separatism of just antagonism towards, you know, the rest of Canada and that, and I don't love that. And so um, mm-hmm. praying, you know, that God leads us through that to be a unified voice and what that looks like. I appreciate that, man. Um, at the beginning, we were chatting about having a heart for people far from God and uh, said that I'd love for you to pray. And so just as we yeah. wrap up, so grateful for your time and sharing the story of Hope City and your story of transition. Thanks for asking, Jason. Yeah, such an honor to be with you, man, and grateful for the work you're doing, the favor that God has on on Hope City Church. Um, I'm thrilled. It's just great and um, unique opportunity. Grateful to hear even about the generosity of the church. Um, would you pray? Would you take a moment and pray yeah. for us as listeners? And like, yeah. you know, for me as a pastor and for everyone else listening, just for a renewed passion for those far from God, and then anything yeah. else on your heart. We'll just end there. Okay. God, we so appreciate the opportunity to be individuals that you work through. We never want to take that for granted. And I thank you for Jason and his team and all that they bring to Canada through um, their lives, their ministry, through this podcast. Thank you for all the individuals who might be listening now and are in their own context saying, God, use me, work through me, help me, guide me, give me wisdom. I pray for those who are hanging on by a thread today and just Mm -hmm. going, man, I'm not sure if I can do this. God, in the midst of that, may your presence be so real. May your calling be reinstated. May may there just be a real belief that they can get through this to the other side and that you can work in and through them. So I pray for that encouragement today. And God, I really pray for all of us that you break our heart for people that are far from you. Um, Help us to know individuals, to do life with people, to be in their world, to intersect with others that are so in, in a sense needing Jesus. And we are that light that can be brought to them. And so I just pray that we're not talk about it only, but we live it out. And I pray that you give us opportunities, whether it's friends, neighbors, uh, Mm -hmm. daily life, errands, whatever. May we step into that with a confidence, with a boldness, with this joy of being able to share something that has transformed our lives, transformed our minds, our hearts. And Jesus, I pray that the church in Canada flourishes in these days where our country is divided more and more, where our country is experiencing unrest and economic turmoil and just um, all the things that come along with everything we're experiencing right now. I pray that there is a unity of Christian, 
uh, yeah. people, unity of churches. It doesn't matter what, what tribe we're from, God. It just matters who we hold high, and that's you, Jesus. And so I pray in these days that you help us to bond together and give a unified voice of hope. Yeah. of love, of purpose, of, yes, Christ died so that we can be forgiven and live and have life both today and for forever. That message that is so true and so real for every one of us. So I pray even over the way and Jason and his team, thank you for the vision they have and the heart that they have. Um, use them in Vancouver in such a large city where they're trying to say, um, we want to make a difference. And so God, draw individuals there. Build that church for your glory and for your honor. And I pray for every church listening today. May we see salvations and yeah. people saved on a regular basis. The, the Just making the decision to follow you, the best decision of their life. May we see that in your powerful name, Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, huge thanks to Phil again for making time to be on our podcast. For me, it's just exciting to sit down with pastors from across the country, leading different sized churches, different denominations in different cities. And Phil represents someone who's been at it for a long time, loving his local church, loving this country. And it's cool to hear what happens when there's years and years of trust and the way God can work through that. It's a pretty special story of the team at Hope City Church and just excited to see what's ahead for them. This month, we're praying together as a community for Regina. Every month, we're picking a new city in our country and we're gathering around to pray for the pastors, for the churches and the work of God in that city. And so would you join me as we continue to pray alongside the church in Regina? Obviously, we're praying for the whole country, but I love this idea of focusing in on an area. So if you're a pastor in that city, let us know how we can be praying for you. You can get us on social and we'd love to be coming alongside you in that way. A few weeks ago, I read a book called A Burning in My Bone. Some of you would have heard of it. It's the biography of Eugene Peterson. And it was so impactful for me. Eugene Peterson has consistently spoke about the life of a pastor. And I just found it both convicting and encouraging, insightful to get a window into the life of a very human man who God used in such profound ways. And the biography impacted me so much that I wanted to continue the conversation. So we reached out to the author his name's Wynn Collier, and said, hey, would you jump on the podcast and share a bit about Eugene Peterson, about his own journey, what he learned through the process. And he himself, he's been a pastor for 25 years. He's founded a church called All Souls in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he now serves at Western Theological Seminary as the director of the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination and associate professor of pastoral theology and Christian imagination. It's going to be a really special conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. As always, we're so grateful that you make time to join in on this conversation. We hope that this is encouraging you and bringing life to you as you serve and love people in your city this week. Tons of love. Stay in touch. We'll see you soon.